interim report released at the request of the British Foreign Secretary says Christian persecution in some parts of the world is, quote, close to meeting the international definition of genocide. I was attending a pastor's meeting. We noticed some men coming in the back door. I watched as they turned tables over. I watched as they came in yelling and screaming and chanting Hindu slogans. With their sticks, they started to beat some of the women, some of the pastor's wives, and some of the pastors. Chaos erupted in the room that day. In Burkina Faso, 13 churches were attacked by mobs in just one week. family. Oh, hello to two of you. Hello, Grace Point family. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, man, God is just moving uh, in our midst, and, and we're thankful for his presence. Um, we are continuing today in our journey in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Acts. Hopefully you grabbed a note sheet on the way in, and uh, you know the deal. If you don't have a pen, look for the lady in your row with the biggest purse. She's got like five or six in there. Just make sure you give it back, all right? Um, today we're going to continue our journey in the book of Acts, and then we're going to spend some time uh, together participating in the Lord's Supper and remembering what Christ has done for us. Um, so far in the book of Acts, we've seen how the message of Jesus Christ is spreading rapidly in Jerusalem, and it is all because of these apostles who are, are living as spirit-empowered witnesses. God is working powerfully in the church, and no one can deny the power that they see at work. And last week we talked about the death of Ananias and Sapphira, right? That passage you usually just read through and just keep on going because it doesn't make sense, right? But we talked last week about how as God dealt with hypocrisy in the church, there was a refined church and there was a church that better understood the cost of discipleship. Uh, scripture tells us after that that more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. You, you see people rose to the challenge, there was incredible uh, spiritual and numerical growth in the early church uh, because God was refining that church. And so Satan tries to attack the church by intimidation from the religious leaders, but as a result of that, there's greater boldness and the church grows. He tries to uh, attack the church internally through hypocrisy, but when the hypocrisy is exposed and it's judged, again, the church grows. Jesus said that he would build his church, and we're seeing the fulfillment of it here in the book of Acts. But as the church grows, here's what you need to know. Not everyone is happy about it. Okay, here in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see the age-old conflict of living truth versus dead tradition. The blessings of verses 12 through 14 are accompanied by a fresh wave of persecution. We're now introduced to the third attempt to stifle the preaching of the gospel. Again, Satan's previous attempt within the church failed, and so now he's going to stir up the Sanhedrin again. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I think it's good that we would reverence God's word in this way. Acts chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading there in verse 16. It says, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. 
and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, and so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. May God bless the reading of his word. Lord God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, as we come together, Lord God, we believe it is living and is active, Lord God. We believe today you desire to speak to your church. And so I pray in this moment that every distraction would be silenced. Lord God, I pray that our ears would be attentive to hear and our our, our spirits would be attentive, attentive to receive what you want to speak in this moment. Lord God, it's our desire that we wouldn't walk out of here the same way but that you would do something in this moment to change us and to mark us for eternity. And so we give you thanks with expectation for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Man, I uh, am loving reading through the book of Acts. I hope you are as well. Um, We're going to talk today a a lot about truth, okay? Um, But here's the first thing you need to understand is this. When When we talk about truth, Truth is seen as a danger by those who stand against it. The apostles are, are, are speaking up and they're proclaiming truth and, and there are those who realize the things that they are saying are dangerous to, to their position and their power and their authority. It says there that they were filled with jealousy and the Sadducees laid their hands upon the apostles and they put them in a common prison. We talked a few weeks ago about who the Sanhedrin was. They're this coalition of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, good. You guys are, well, I shouldn't say it, but better answer than first service. Okay, Uh, among the Jews of that time, the Sadducees were the theological liberals, okay? They they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in things like the the resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in the existence of angels. And, And the Pharisees were the theological conservatives. They were the orthodox who believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in the supernatural in general. Now, the chief priests were all of the Sadducee party. Once again, the high priest and his associates, we see here, they're beginning to get upset with what's taking place. Because here the church is growing, and they're not meeting in some far-off, distant, hidden place. They're meeting in the temple, right? And the apostles are teaching, and the number continues to grow. They're so upset. In fact, the word translated jealousy in the scripture there is the Greek word zealous. And it can mean zeal. It can mean eagerness in a good sense but it could also mean the worst kind of jealousy there is, and that's what it's talking about here. Our our text shows us that the religious leaders were enraged with the apostles for several reasons. Number one, if you're following all the notes, it's this. They denied their doctrine. 
They were upset with the apostles because the apostles denied their doctrine. Again, the apostles are preaching the resurrection of Jesus, which is in direct conflict to the Sadducees' teaching that denied everything supernatural, including resurrection, right? Listen, here's the reality, church. When you speak to super spiritual things in a world that wants to deny the spiritual and wants to deny the supernatural, right away you are at odds with that world. I hope you realize today that, that we as believers, if we hold to uh, Judeo-Christian principles, we are at odds with our culture right now. We're at odds with, with a culture that is pushing for abortion up until, and now some states even after birth. A culture that does not see a child as a blessing, but rather it says, you know, pregnancy is optional. You can choose, right? We're at odds, and I, I feel like I've got to speak to this because it's, it's in the news like crazy right now. But we're at odds with, with a culture that says, you know what, there's not only two genders, there's an infinite amount of genders. And you can uh, just choose, decide whatever you want your identity to be. We are at odds with this culture. And you might say, well, pastor, why don't you just leave it alone? And just, you know, we just meet here and just leave that alone. Like, why are you even concerned with this? Let people live their lives. Love is love is love, right? In other words, all love is the same. Well, if you look at the Greek language, that's not true. There's many different words for love and many different types of love, right? But, but why even push back? Because here's the reality. We, as believers in Christ, we're concerned for people and we're concerned for truth. Like if you believe the Bible and you hold to the truth of the Bible, you believe there is objective truth that is given to us by God and that truth is important because we understand from Scripture that God created male and female, both bearing the image of God, right? God is the one who's created us and given us our identity. You know, you don't get to choose your identity. You don't get to choose your sexual identity. I know that's controversial, but it shouldn't be, okay? That is given to you by God at birth. And here's the truth. When you know your identity, you can begin to understand your purpose. Like you can't understand what you're supposed to do until you know who you are. And, and so there's an agenda right now that is, I believe, an outright attack of the enemy to confuse a generation and to keep them from their purpose. Parents, let me speak to you for a moment, because the role of a good parent is to help your child understand an identity that is already established. It's your job to take them and ground them in that identity and from that place help them find their purpose or their calling, if you will. But the world we live in says, you know what, you shouldn't tell your kids who they are. You should let them discover their identity, right? Like your job is just open their eyes to all of the possibilities and, and then just let them decide, right? Just imagine. Parents, how many of you let your six-year-old decide what they want to eat for every meal? Not very many of you, right? They've eaten Cocoa Puffs every single meal, right? We would say as parents, that's just insane. Now, I'm going to feed them what's good for them. I'm going to tell them that, you know, it's Cocoa Puffs for breakfast, but, but not later on, all right? Do you let your kids dress themselves every day at five years old, six years old? Probably not. If they're staying home, go ahead, have your way, right? But, but if you're going out, you look at the weather, you look at where you're going, and you say, you know what, here's what you're going to wear today. Why? Because you have a better understanding than they do. But we should allow our children to choose their sexuality. I want to tell you, church, this is just an attack. It's an attack on a generation. There's a bill in Florida, and you've probably heard it. It's all over the news, HB 1557. I want to encourage you to, to read that bill, okay? Because there's a lot of misrepresentation out there that, that calls this a don't say gay bill, okay? But if you read it, you'll see the word gay is not even in the bill, okay? 
it is this. It is parental rights and education bill, okay? Saying that we as parents should have a say in, in what our children are taught, especially when it comes to sexuality, especially when it comes to grades K through third grade, right? It, it, listen, this is from the bill. It says classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. To me, the bill makes sense. And when I say that, that's not a political statement, it's a biblical statement. Because again, scripture says, parents, it's our responsibility, right? It's, it's our responsibility to train up your child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, what? They will not depart from it. In other words, you train them and you teach them their identity, amen? You, you teach them who they are in Christ, and when they are older, they'll begin to function in their purpose because they're grounded in their identity. It, it is not the place of a state-run education system to make your child or my child question foundational truths about their identity. It's not. Your job, my job as a parent is to establish our children in their identity so they have a foundation to move into their purpose. Now, for those of you who have children in the public school, I, I just gotta say this, you need to be more involved than ever before. You need to be more involved than ever before. Because again, your beliefs put you at odds with the world around you. And so you can't stay quiet, okay? There's this term, silent majority, and it just drives me nuts. It doesn't matter if you're in the majority if you keep your mouth shut. Again, I think most parents would read this bill and say, this is insane. There's no way you're teaching my kindergartner about sexual identity. That just shouldn't happen, right? But, but so often we keep our mouths shut and we don't speak up for fear. I, I think most parents would be in favor of a bill like this, but they stay silent. Now, what good is there, again, with being silent? I want to encourage you parents, you need to be involved. Go to your school board meetings. Find out how to get on the board, right? Get on that board. Because the reality is, here in New York, there is no bill like this, which means classroom instruction by school personnel on sexual orientation or gender identity may occur in kindergarten through third grade. It may occur in a manner that is not age appropriate. So get involved. Speak up, okay? Amen? Are you with me today? All right. But here are the apostles. And in this situation, they're at odds with the Sadducees because they deny a false doctrine. They say, we can't let that stand. We're going to speak against that. We are at odds, again, with some false doctrine right now. Number two is this. The apostles defied, they defied their authority. They had been given uh, strict instruction to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. And the fact that the apostles continued to preach was a slap in the face of their authority. Number three, the apostles denounced their spirituality. You see, as they held the, the Sadducees responsible for the death of Jesus, they found them guilty of sin. And what would that mean? It would mean that they're in need of repentance. And so here they are feeling like, man, you're denouncing our spirituality. Do you know who we are? Finally, the apostles were a danger to their influence over the people. The Sadducees are filled with this jealousy as they saw the growing popularity and success of the apostles, as they watched the crowds coming to hear the apostles preach and seeing them work miracles. Uh, the crowd grew la larger and larger. They witnessed how people held the apostles in high esteem, and at the same time they realized, man, our influence is, is split, slipping here. We don't have the same influence on these people we used to. Something has to be done. They must be stopped. And here's the reality, though. Truth cannot be stopped. Truth cannot be stopped. 
Here's another case where Satan's opposition backfires, right? Rather than stopping the the truth, his attack provides an opportunity for God to display miraculous power. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. From what the Bible says in other places, the the angel probably caused this deep sleep to come over the guards, and so they were unaware as the apostles just walked right out those doors, right? And it must have been unreal to the disciples to be walking the streets while the prison doors are locked behind them. And I I think it's amazing. Like, doesn't God have a sense of humor? Because here are the Sadducees who don't believe in angels, and God's using angels to deliver the apostles, right? And listen to what the angel tells them in verse 20. He says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, uh, if you're in the the ESV there, what's special about the word life? Tell me, somebody tell me. It's capitalized, right? It's capitalized. Listen, the angel did more than release the apostles. He gave them a specific commission. The apostles are told to take their stand and to keep speaking to the people all the words of life. Now, why is that capitalized? Who is that referring to? Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Nine times out of ten, that's the right answer in church. Jesus, right? Remember, Jesus said to Martha, he said, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. Understand today, Jesus is not just the source of life, he is life. There there is no life apart from him. And really, the angel is repeating the command of of Acts 1-8, the great commission. The apostles were first and foremost to be witnesses of the resurrection. Why? Because it is the resurrection of Jesus that validates all of his other claims. We're only like two weeks away from Easter. Can you believe it? Only two weeks away from the most important holiday on the church calendar uh, because it's a time when we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate that which validates all of the claims of Jesus. We have three services on Easter Sunday, and I I hope, I want to encourage you to to be praying about who you're going to invite. Invite somebody. Pray for at least three people that you're going to extend an invitation to be. Bring somebody to the house, okay, on Easter Sunday. I promise I won't talk about HB 1557. (laughs) Well, I might, but it's not likely, okay? Um, But the apostles were not freed so that they could run and hide, but so that they could boldly return to the temple and continue to preach. Can I just say this morning, you you are not set free to hide. You are not set free to hide. Christ didn't set you free to hide. He didn't set you free so you could just put your head under a rock and we're just gonna ride this thing out until Jesus comes, right? You are freed so you can boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would have been a good place for an amen. You are freed so you can boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're set free so that you can proclaim the gospel. Look at verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They're going back to the same place they got in trouble in the first place, right? And I really doubt that the apostles got much sleep that night. I don't know what time it was they got out of prison, but they probably stopped off at Waffle House, Falafel House, whatever it was, right? You're going to have a little breakfast, and we're just going to get ready. As soon as the temple doors open, we're going in, right? And we're following Jesus' instructions. And I bet those messages were some of the most powerful messages that morning. Verse 22, now when the priests came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought out, right? In the temple courtyard, on, on one end of Solomon's porch, it's known as the Colonnade of Solomon, is a chamber of hewn stone, and this is where the council would meet. And so when they all got in this place, the first order of business was to deal with these apostles of Jesus, right? And, and so they sent to the prison to have them brought out, but as they go there to look for him, they're not there. 
And the officers come back and say, we, we found the prison securely locked. The guards are standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. I read that, I'm like, man, these poor guards, they were standing by those doors all night, and they had no clue that there's nobody inside. <laughs> they are guarding an empty cell. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Like, what do you do to stop an enemy that can walk out of prison cells unnoticed, right? Like, what kind of power allows that to happen? Like, your best guards didn't even notice a thing. They have to be thinking, what is going on, and how is all of this going to end? They had to begin to wonder if they were fighting against the real Messiah. Remember in Acts chapter 3, Peter had preached to these leaders, and he, he told them that you killed Jesus, but you did it in ignorance. But you have to ask, are they still ignorant? I mean, they knew they had paid off the Roman soldiers to lie about what had happened at the tomb. They, they just saw a very well-known man who was lame from birth get up and, and jump for joy at the name of Jesus. And, and these followers of Jesus now escape from prison totally unnoticed. These men, these uneducated men, defy them without fear. They may have killed Jesus in ignorance, but are they still ignorant? And so they begin to wonder, man, what is all of this going to come to? It's interesting because Jewish writing tells us that even more is taking place at this time than we see recorded in Scripture. And knowing all of this and seeing all of this, they still make a decision to protect their position and their power. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. All they had to do was look toward the temple from this chamber of hewn stone down the colonnade of Solomon, and, and a few hundred yards down, there they are. <laughs> the men they're looking for, they're not in the prison, there they are, they're teaching again. They're teaching the crowds. They were the same ones they put in prison last night. Can you imagine the shock on the face of those religious leaders? But the apostles are just doing what God told them to do. They're teaching about him and they're teaching about his resurrection because that's what a disciple does, okay? We're going through a, a discipleship journey. Here's what a disciple does. A disciple shares what the rabbi said and did. That's your calling as a disciple of Jesus, you know? Uh, that's what it is. Here's what Jesus said and here's what Jesus did. They're standing there and they're repeating Jesus' teaching and they're telling of his resurrection and, and they're talking about all the signs that proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah along with the, the prophecies that were fulfilled in his life and his death and his resurrection, I'm certain that as they stood there, they shared about the power of Jesus to change lives. But I believe there were a lot of stunned faces in that chamber of hewn stone because not only did these men escape the prison they were placed in, but when they did, they didn't even run and hide. <laughs> They're right back there on the temple grounds. These uneducated fishermen speaking with great power and great authority. So they didn't understand what was going on, but those leaders couldn't see, they couldn't understand, is that the Holy Spirit is in these men. The very life of the one that they killed is now living inside the apostles and proclaiming truth. Like, they thought they killed Jesus, but Jesus is alive, and his spirit is at work through the church. Look at verse 25. It says, then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. I think it's interesting that Luke makes the point here, they brought him, but not by force. <laughs> it was more like, can you guys please come with me? Would you mind just coming with us for just a moment? 
the crazy thing is that the people that were listening to the apostles were more discerning that God was at work than the religious leaders were. And so these leaders knew, man, if push comes to shove, they're going to choose the apostles over us. And here's the reality. God didn't want a Jewish civil war. And so in his grace and his patience, his patience was extended for another 40 years with the Jewish people. And it was at that point that the Jews would choose a different Messiah, a military leader, and all that they feared would come upon them. The temple would be destroyed. Those in power would lose their positions. And many of them would be killed. But I can't help but think, what patience God has, even with those who seem to have so much evidence that he's at work. It goes on to say, and when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name. I love, they can't even say the name of Jesus. They say his name. Yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I, I, I think it's worth noting that when the apostles are brought to stand before the council, the, the high priest did not ask the apostles how they'd been delivered from prison. That would be my first question. Like, come on, guys, like, we put you in prison, right? here you are, right? Like, that's a really good question. It's a, it's a legitimate question, but I suspect they didn't want to hear the answer. Because it was obvious that something supernatural had happened, but it didn't fit their theology, and they certainly didn't want to hear the apostles give praise to God for their deliverance. Instead, the high priest levels his first indictment. It's this. He says, we strictly charged you. We charge you not to teach in his name. Again, he wouldn't even use the name of Jesus. But then he accuses them of this, of filling Jerusalem with their teaching. What a, a statement of the effectiveness of the witness of the apostles, right? That, that this, this is filling Jerusalem, this news of who Jesus is and, and, and what he's done. And, and the second indictment of the high priest is this. He, he says, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, you, you want to hold us responsible for his death and the high priest had conveniently forgotten that he said to Pilate in Matthew 27, 25, he said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. The high priest had totally misunderstood the purpose of what the apostles had said, probably because of their own guilty conscience, right? He, he thought that the apostles wanted to bring vengeance upon them for the death of Jesus, when in reality, the, the apostles wanted them to be convicted that they might repent and be forgiven. But I want you to see in this passage what it means for the church to stand up and declare truth. Here are the apostles. The apostles declare truth a number of ways. Fill these in. Number one, they declare the truth by obeying God. Verse 29, Peter's going to say, we must obey God rather than man. They declared the truth by confronting sin. Listen, the church will never be effective if it doesn't confront sin. In verse 30, he says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. He charged them with willfully rejecting and executing the Messiah and therefore being guilty of rebellion against God himself. Thirdly, they declare the truth by exalting Christ. Verse 31, God exalted him to his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Number four, they declared the truth by a willingness to be a witness. To be a witness of what they heard and, and what they had seen. Verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So here the religious leaders, they're, they're faced with truth again. They, 
They come against the apostles. They, they try to threaten them, and the apostles say, well, here's the truth again. Let me say this one more time so it's clear, right? But, but how do they respond? How do the religious leaders deal with that truth? Can I just say successful Christians and successful churches will make waves in our culture? The churches that are standing the strongest today right now are the churches that are making waves in culture, not the churches that are just riding the waves of the culture, okay? Successful Christians will make waves in the world, and Satan will retaliate with persecution. You see, to convicting preaching, there are really only three possible reactions. When, when the gospel is preached with authority and conviction, there's only three reactions. Number one is violent hostility. Number two is an indifferent indecision. Or number three is a saving acceptance of the gospel. And so when you look at the reaction here, it was obviously the first, right? It was violent hostility to truth. The response of the priests and others in the courtroom was very volatile. They were, as Luke tells us, they were cut to the quick. The same expression is used one other time in chapter 7 to describe the reaction of those who heard Stephen speak, Right? Here, the exposure of their sin is so angered the members of the Sanhedrin that they couldn't even see straight. I mean, conviction either brings repentance or it brings rejection, right? When the Holy Spirit speaks, when the word is spoken, it either brings conviction or it brings rejection, and and rejection often brings anger. The council is so angry that they're finally like, man, we just got to kill these guys. And can I just say, if the gospel we preach is not convicting enough to make anyone angry, then it is not sufficiently convicting to bring anyone to salvation. If the gospel that we preach is not convicting enough to make anyone angry, then it is not sufficiently convicting to bring anyone to salvation. But understand, as they stood there that day, there was, there was another in the room, and we're going to hear about him next week. We're going to see next week that, that, that there was uh, an unexpected ally in a man by the name of Gamaliel, okay? He's a, a teacher under whom the apostle Paul actually studied. He was a, a great rabbi, and he basically argues, he said, you know, you guys should just stop for a moment and think before you act. And, and that's good advice, right? Yet it was only worldly advice. It sounds on the surface like sound reasoning, but it's not. The, the line of argument has some real fallacies. Tragically, As far as we know, Gamaliel did not make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. As as far as we know, he died waiting to see whether the Christian movement was really of God or not. See, here's the truth of the gospel. When the gospel is preached, when it's it's spoken, right? The, The call of the gospel is this. It's to respond today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. When you're presented with truth, you have to make a decision about that truth. We're going to see next week that they make a decision on what to do with the apostles, and they basically decide to beat them and tell them, what's more, you guys got to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, but shockingly, that doesn't work. Spoiler alert, okay? The disciples don't stop preaching. They don't stop speaking the truth. Every time they're persecuted, they just seem to get a greater boldness and a greater conviction that what they're saying is true. In his commentary on the book of Acts, I came across this this week, Kent Hughes tells a story of of a Russian girl by the name of Ada uh, Skripnikova. Skripnikova. She's a Russian girl born in Leningrad in 1941. And in the fall of 1961, Ada came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And and with her new faith, she realized, man, I have this impulse. I, I just have to share this with others. 
And so she went and purchased some postcards with a, a beautiful picture representing a harbor at sunrise. It was chosen probably because of the, the spiritual sunrise that she had discovered. And then she wrote a poem on the back of many of these, these cards. And the poem expressed her perception of life and the need to find God. The poem was entitled Happy New Year 1962. And here's what it read. She wrote, our years fly past, one after another, unnoticed. Grief and sadness disappear. They're carried away by life. This world, the earth, is so transient. Everything in it comes to an end. Life is important. Don't be happy-go-lucky. What answer will you give to your creator? What awaits you, my friend, beyond the grave? Answer this question while light remains. Perhaps tomorrow, before God, you will appear to give an answer for everything. Think deeply about this, for you are not on this earth forever. Perhaps tomorrow you will break forever your links with this world. Seek God while he is to be found. Ada took these postcards and she went and stood in the Nevesky Project, which is equivalent in Leningrad to like our Fifth Avenue, right, in New York City. And she began to hand out these cards to those that were passing by. And, and she, of course, was arrested for doing that. In April 1962, she was tried by a communist court. She was exiled from Leningrad. She lost her, her job. She was arrested again in 1965, and at that point, she was sent to, to a labor camp for a few years. 1968, she was at it again, sharing the gospel. She was arrested and sent to a labor camp for three more years. And I read that story, and I say, man, what is it that inspired Ada to share her faith like that? To boldly step out, even knowing the consequences of, of speaking the truth. I wonder if she read the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. I wonder if she had been struck by the fact of what the angel told the apostles to do when they were delivered from prison, to go and to stand in the temple courts and tell the people of the full message of this new life. Perhaps she took note of how the apostles were arrested, tried, and beaten, and when they were released, they went right back to the temple courts and they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you stand with me today? Here's what I want to assure you, church, and here's what you're going to see as we continue through the book of Acts. It's this truth that no one can stop the proclaiming of the gospel. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. Here they are. At this point, the church is still relatively small, but the church continues to grow. And even today, nothing can stop the gospel. Not even countries where Christians are being persecuted and they're being killed even today. In fact, persecution tends to promote preaching, and we should never be ashamed of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. What is the gospel? It's simply this. It's the truth that Jesus died on the cross, that he bore our sin, and he suffered the penalty that you and I deserve as, as, as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. This Jesus now freely offers us total salvation. Now, when people hear the gospel, there's really only two ways you can respond. Either you're going to repent and you're going to surrender and you're going to receive Christ or you're going to reject him and refuse him and be separated from him. But hear me today. The moment that you hear the gospel, you need to make a decision. 
either to receive it or to reject it, but the decision is yours. Again, Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Before we come to the communion table today, before we remember what Christ has done for us, right? If, if you've placed your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross, then this act of communion has incredible significance to you. But if not, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, if you're just here kind of listening in, then this is just grape juice and a cracker. That's all it is. But I do want to say this today. You can make a decision with the truth you've heard today. You can make a decision today to surrender to Christ. Heads bowed around the room. I want to encourage you. If you feel the Holy Spirit stirring something in you, God's tugging on, on your heart today. Just surrender to him. Just surrender to him today. If you confess with your mouth, Scripture says that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You can, even in this moment right now, just simply confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, I recognize you as Lord. Believe today that he's alive and he's at work. Amen. Before we come to the communion table today, there's a time for all of us, though, to prepare our hearts, to reflect on what Christ has done for us, to reflect on the forgiveness that we've received. But it's also a time, I want to challenge you this, as we receive the elements in just a few moments, we're saying this is important. This is vitally important for our lives. But I want to challenge you, it's vitally important for somebody else in your life, somebody that needs to hear the gospel. And God's placed you there to speak up to open your mouth and to trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words. Amen. And so before we come to the communion table today, let's let the, the worship team lead us. Let's prepare our hearts. Amen for this moment.